Welcome to the EXO Marriage Podcast, brought to you by Marriage Today. This podcast is an inside look at all things EXO and is dedicated to helping you thrive in life and in love. Hello, everyone. I am Brent Evans, president of Marriage Today and founder of EXO Marriage. Listen, we're back with more great content and incredible guests. We took a little break this summer, but we're back this fall, and I can't wait for you to hear some of our upcoming episodes. Listen, during one of our recent EXO events, I sat down with Jimmy Evans, founder and CEO of Marriage Today, He's also my father, to discuss a topic that is not always fun, but is always important. I'm talking about finances within your marriage. So let's listen in on my conversation with Jimmy Evans before we get too far into this holiday season. I have a very famous, very important person here today. He's also my father. No, not Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jimmy Evans is with us today on the program. Uh, Jimmy Evans just stepped off the stage here in Rockford, Illinois. We're at the EXO Conference in Rockford at City First Church. Uh, great church here. Welcome, though, to the podcast, Jimmy Evans. Great to be with you, son. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, it is a trivia fact for those out there that uh, when you call me, the Darth Vader song plays on my phone. So Does it really? It does. It's yeah. the Imperial March. That's inspirational. <laughs> Okay, great. Well, you've been on the podcast before, and it's always good to hear from you. It's obviously something that I get to hear a lot, but not everybody gets to hear from you. Uh, we talk on a regular basis. Uh, I serve you in the ministry. I have been with you for 13 years, so I take it for granted sometimes I get to talk to you, but I know the people out here listening are really always engaged whenever you're talking. You have something good to say every single time. But today we're talking about finances. You know, finances continue to be one of the leading causes of divorce. Mm. Uh, in our country, in our culture, money is a driver. People are always trying to get more money. And once they have it, even as couples, they don't know what to do with it. I still come across couples with separate checking accounts. It's not uncommon. Uh, couples with you know two income households, they separate their money and they treat it like it's their money. So just right off the bat, talk to our couples about how to come up in their minds with a good game plan to share. Yeah. Well, the laws of marriage, Genesis 2, 24 says, for this cause a man will leave his father and mother, will cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one. Okay. So marriage is oneness. It's about. It's called the law of possession or the law of partnership. Uh, your marriage has to be first. That's what it means when it says uh, a man will leave his father and mother. It means you have to reprioritize your entire life for marriage. It has to be first. Cleaving to your wife, that word cleave means energy, pursue. It means you have to work at it. Marriage only works when you work at it. But when it says they too shall become one, what it means is uh, marriage is about sharing. If you wanted to live uh, an individualistic life, you should have stayed single. Marriage is about sharing. Now, I don't think that it's necessarily wrong for couples to have separate bank accounts as long as they don't feel separated. Mm -hmm. And when you say that there are two incomes and they both think it's their money, that's a dangerous That's a dangerous proposition. Two separate budgets, two yeah. separate accounts. Yeah. Everything in your marriage belongs to both of you, and it should be owned together and administrated together. Let me say this. You, you get married to share your life with somebody, mm -hmm. not to be in a house with someone, but having an individual kind of a life. And so mom and I, you know, I make all the money in, the, in our household, but she manages it. I mean, it's her money. You know, I don't ever act like that's my money, but I had a couple uh, early on. I had many couples uh, when I started marriage counseling that uh, they would get married and they would feel like whatever I brought into the marriage, that's my money. Mm -hmm. Or uh, one one couple, um, there was like an uncle that died 
and left the woman $30,000, the man took uh, control of it because he that, that was his nature. And he went and spent a bunch of it on himself and she wanted new furniture and he said, we don't have enough for your furniture. Mm -hmm. But he went and bought a truck and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a tremendous amount of resentment in the marriage if there's not a spirit of sharing. Uh, we make our decisions together. And you talk about a game plan. Uh, here's my game plan and that is, and we learned the hard way. Mom and I, we were broke. I mean, we were, uh, I made $7,000 a year, uh, $600 a month. It's like a first, dollar an hour. I'm telling you, it, it was tough. And, the first thing that we did that transformed our ability to manage money was to start giving to the Lord. It's, it's counterintuitive. When you don't have money, it's just crazy to think about giving some away. And it was mom who wanted to give the first time. We went to church. This preacher preached on giving. I couldn't stand him. I just thought, well, I'm never going back to that church. And mom, mom wanted to give $40. Well, we didn't have, I mean, we didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And uh, we gave that first $40. Mom gave the first $40. And we began to see God work in our finances. And I, I look back on that day is one of the most important days of my life. And then we gave longer. Mom was giving. I was terrified. But even I couldn't uh, refute that God was doing something in our finances. Mm -hmm. we, it, it was like he put a stretcher on our money. It just began to stretch. And then we began to tithe. I, I remember the first time we gave 10% of our income to the church. And it was a frightening feeling. But again, I look back on that as being one of the most important things that we ever did in our life. We're so blessed today. Gosh, we're so blessed today. And I look back at those pivotal moments. See, when people fight about money, it's because you have two wills clashing. Mom and I don't fight about money because we surrender our money to the will of God. Jesus said that we should pray every day, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. The word kingdom is the word basileia. It means rule or authority. So every day, Jesus told us to pray, Father, let your authority come over our finances. Let your authority come over our children, over every element of our lives. And we want to do your will. Mm -hmm. Show us your will. Then the next line is, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us. See, before God provides, we have to be in his will. So mom and I, when we make the financial decisions, First of all, we give. The, the first thing we have, we give to the Lord. The second is we pray. So we're buying a house, buying cars, doing anything substantial. Uh, we always agree. We don't bully each other. We share. We don't, we don't pull the God card of God said, you know, for me to go buy that new car or something. Uh, we sit, we talk, and we pray until we believe that we have heard God and that we're in God's will. And let me say, Brent, we, uh, and we've done that for, we've been married 45 years, so we've been doing that at least 40 years. And we make good decisions. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're respecting your spouse and when you're respecting God and walking in God's will, God blesses it. And the result of that is a stress-free life. You, just, you don't have the stress of debt. You don't have the stress of bad decision-making. It's, it's a blessing. But you also don't have the stress of disagreement in your marriage and the stress that comes through that. So that, that's what we do. And the other thing I'd say, Brent, the, the transforming part of our marriage related to money, uh, we couldn't talk about money. It was a, it a radioactive issue in our home. And part of it was because of the difference between the way mom and I see money. Uh, mom, The money languages. The, the, the four money languages. I, I read a report by Dr. Kenneth Doyle, University of Minnesota, 30 years ago. And he, uh, he, he is a financial psychologist, and I'd never heard of that before. 
But he talked about there are four different money languages, and what that means is we, we just see money differently, and there's, there's no wrong answer. And so the one of the money languages is called driver, and to a driver, money means success. The more money they get, the more successful they feel. Mm-hmm. And they express love by showing. They buy a house, buy a car, buy a clothes. They, they love to take their money and to you know, uh, show everybody that they're successful. Another kind of uh, money language is analytic. And analytic is mom's analytic. And analytic is uh, m- they show love by saving. They're very conservative. They uh, manage money very well. They don't spend money. They, they save it. They're, they're very thrifty. The securities in their bank balances. The more they have, the more secure they feel. They feel secure in their bank balance. That's right. And these kind of people, a lot of times, these are the kind of people that relax by doing a budget. Mm-hmm. You know, the, what stresses the rest of us out relaxes them. Okay. Then there is an amiable, and I'm an amiable, and to an amiable, money's love. It's just the more money I have, the more I can express love to the people around me. Um, a lot of times, amiables are not good savers. They're, they're spenders. A lot, a lot of times, amiables don't have a lot of money because they constantly give it away to other people. Uh, but they're very generous, and that's the way they show love. And then the other money language is expressive. Uh, to an expressive, uh, they, money means inclusion. Money means I, had, I get to wear the right clothes, I get to drive the right cars, to be in the right circles of people. So it means to them, money is acceptance. Mm-hmm. And they can become spendaholics. They can become very unhealthy. They can use money the way some people use drugs, is they use it uh, to medicate, mm-hmm. and they use it to, to kind of buy their way in. And so you have the driver, the analytic, the amiable, and the expressive. So mom is, and many times we have a couple of them. You know, we'll major in one and kind of minor in the other. So mom and I are, we just see money differently. We always have. And so she, mom wants to save. She hates debt. Um, I, I also don't like debt, but I spend uh, more than mom would. Well, in the early days of our marriage, uh, I called her a tightwad and she called me a spendthrift. Mm-hmm. And we judged each other. And so when mom would, every, every decision we made, no, 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 no. Well, finally, I got frustrated with that. It was just like, you don't want to do anything. Well, then when I read that report by Kenneth Doyle, what I realized was we're just different by God's design. Mm-hmm. There's no wrong answer. But you, you hand $100 to uh, four different people with four different money languages, they just see it differently. So how, how does that work out in marriage? Here's how it works out for mom and me. We, we make a great team. We make great money decisions together. When, because, and we respect each other. Mom doesn't judge me, and I don't judge mom. We're just the way we are. So when we sit down, uh, one of my dreams was always to take the family to Disneyland. You know, I, I wanted to... Uh, I, uh, kids and grandkids. I wanted all of us to go. To, we had never done that. I remember that very, yeah. very vividly. Stephanie yeah. was pregnant with uh, Reed, our yep. middle child. She was. And um, so, so mom said this, I, and I said to her, we were having a vision retreat, and we were just talking about the future and what we wanted to do and money and stuff. And I said, I want to take our family to, to Disneyland uh, for a week. And uh, mom said this, as long as we're debt free and we save the money to pay cash, I'm fine, but I don't want to go into debt to do it. So great. So we had a plan, we saved the money, and we went. And um, it was one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. It, it always is. And we've done that, you know, several times since. I love taking money and using it to love our family and other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a reward in that. Yeah. And, yeah, and for, for mom, she, like, she enjoys it too, 
But she does it from a conservative perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit more more liberal than she is in that way. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's always good to have you on the podcast. We're talking about money. I wanted to go through a couple scenarios because there could be some people out there listening and they might be in a circumstance like this. And whoever's bringing home the money, bringing home the bacon, uh, there is a tendency for them to think, well, I'm making all the money. Here's, Here's your budget. Here's what you get out of this. And... They might have a clothing budget or uh, kind of a budget they can use to go out and have fun, but they're at the whim and the mercy of the other spouse in order to get anything. So right. it's not shared. So how do you right. coach somebody like that in that, that situation to realistically still have the intimacy, still have the communication when they know that they're being held hostage for the monthly budget? The, the intimacy, the goodwill is out the window. And these are laws. The laws of marriage are laws. It means they're universal. They're inviolable. They're, they're going to be, so when, when God made marriage, he said for this cause, it, the only two people alive on the planet were Adam and Eve when God said this, Genesis 2.24. And he said, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother. Well, they didn't have a mother. See, the reason that we know that God wasn't speaking this only to Adam and Eve is because God, God created both of them directly. And these, these are two people that didn't have mothers. Okay, so God said, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother, cleaving to his wife. They too shall become one flesh. The law of priority, the law of pursuit, the law of possession or partnership. And so when you say to your spouse, I'm not sharing that. Uh, these kids from a previous marriage, they're my kids. You leave them alone. Well, the, the goodwill and intimacy of the marriage is gone. Mm-hmm. Because what I've done is I've taken something away from you. Marriage is about sharing for two people to become one, it means I have to take everything I have and put it in the pot. So if I come home from work and, and I make all the money in our family, I'm the, I'm the sole breadwinner in the family, and I come home and I and, and I buy something, and Mom says, uh, "Jimmy, that's a lot of money. What are you doing?" So don't ask me questions. That's my I'm I'm the breadwinner around here. You know what that does to her? Mm-hmm. That is a slap in the face. And what I'm saying to her is, you don't. I'm more important than you are because I make the money. That's the danger of two people working and putting their money in separate banking accounts and being separate. You need to put it together. Mm-hmm. And there, we know women, uh, Brent, both of you, uh, both of us n- know women who make more than their husbands. Sure. Okay. Doesn't matter. Is It all goes in the same pot and both of you humbly before God manage that money and you don't bully each other mm-hmm. with that. You make decisions together and, and that's where the peace and goodwill comes from. But the law of possession is so critical, and I've seen so many marriages. Let me let me say this: very wealthy people. I've counseled some very wealthy people that one person controlled the money, and I'm telling you what it, it did. This this one couple I'm thinking of, and this has been many years ago. They were worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and she had anything she wanted, but she didn't have access to the money. Mm-hmm. And he and she he, she said uh, to me, um, "Well, I can have anything I want as long as I ask him." But he never asked me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he would buy huge ranches and huge pieces of property and jets and all that stuff, and never talk to her. Well, the point is, she had money. She just didn't have equality. Mm. And if you don't feel like an equal in the home, there, it's going to be very difficult to establish intimacy and goodwill in that relationship. This is something not not a lot of people talk about. Um, and Rebecca, one of our new employees here at Marriage Today, her husband's a, a psychologist, and he said there's. A, a t- kind of a top four addiction in America. You know, you got gambling and, and drug addiction. He said, but shopping 
is one of the top addictions in America, people out there. Wow. And so I know there's been circumstances before. I've heard of couples that this has happened to where one of the couples is addicted to shopping, just can't stop spending yep. money, yep. and they rack up huge debt. And the debt becomes a problem uh, for both of them. And, you know, when somebody has an aversion to that, they just simply can't be trusted with money. They yeah. can't be trusted with a credit card. Um, but then it's, it's like being in a marriage with somebody who can't control themselves around food or alcohol or whatever it is. Um, how do you coach somebody in that situation to be there for their spouse, but to also protect themselves? Because it can end up hurting that person yeah. and, and getting sacked with a lot of debt. Well, it's destructive behavior, and uh, it, it doesn't just affect the marriage. It affects the children in a dramatic way. And when you have a person who's in destructive uh, uh, behavior, alcohol, drugs, gambling, shopping, whatever it is. When I say shopping, I'm not just talking about they shop a little too much. It means they're bankrupting the family. Mm -hmm. You know, they're racking up all kinds of debt that can't be paid off and all of that. Well, there there needs to be some intervention and some tough love. And um, so, so here's the issue. Uh, we had an employee at marriage today and her husband racked up $300,000 of debt without her knowledge. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, they divorced, uh, but she was still responsible for that debt, and she had to declare bankruptcy um, ultimately to keep that from happening. And I just think that sometimes in, in this, you know, I'm, I'm a marriage counselor, not a divorce counselor, but I've lived long enough to see that when a person is in destructive behavior, many times they're not, you can't influence them. You mm -hmm. can't talk to them. And you need to get their attention. And so sometimes when you have someone who is a dangerous shopper, they're, they're just spending money, they're, 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 there's no end to it, they won't listen to anybody. Sometimes divorce, uh, most states don't have separation, but divorce legally protects you from the debt that they rack up. And uh, the divorce is not a spirit of separation. It is a warning that says to them, I'm protecting myself against you financially because of your irresponsibility financially. I'm not going to let you ruin me and the kids while you're ruining yourself. I'm going to protect my income from you, but I love you. And if you'll stop this behavior, we'll, we'll get remarried, okay? I'm not going to go out to the bars and look for another guy or another gal, okay? I love you, but I'm doing this to protect myself against you in this circumstance. And I've seen people that literally had to declare divorce, had mm -hmm. to, uh, to file for divorce to protect themselves from the dangerous financial behavior of their spouse. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, but you definitely have to um, think about the long-term devastation to the family. I mean, uh, people have to move out of their homes. Yeah. The kids have to move away. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, they're in situations where uh, they're uh, in benevolence programs because right. one of the spouses has has just destroyed the family. Okay, last question, um, and this is not related to money, but we get a, we get from time to time questions about empty nesting and empty nesters. You and mom are in the season of life where you, when you were my age, you had nobody in the house. You guys were empty nesters We young. finally got rid of you about my, when I was your age. <laughs> so I'm 41, I have three kids at home, 11, six, and four. When my dad was 41, he had nobody at home. But you're, you're in a great season of life. I feel like there's... Um, a lot of folks out there listening right now that would love to hear about how you relate to mom in this season of life. You know, your kids and your grandkids are older. Um, the the demands of family are less. Uh, the the work environment's probably still, you know, uh, busy, but not expansive. Talk about empty nesting for Jimmy and Karen Evans. Well, the way that you are married before your nest empties 
uh, determines a lot of your empty nesting. And an example of that would be many, many um, parents obsess over their children while they're in the home, and they neglect their marriage. And when their children leave home, they go with them emotionally. And so you really don't have much of a marriage. It's, in fact, in, in many cases, there's a lot of resentment there. The, the empty nesting years are an opportunity to be closer because you're, you're alone together more, you know, and hang around the house, go somewhere, travel, do whatever you want to do. And so when you and Julie left home, mom and I had a great marriage, you know, because we loved you guys and uh, loved, loved you being in the home. But when you left, we had a great marriage. So it was just an opportunity to be together more, to talk more, to hang out more. Um, and, it, and they have been wonderful years. Our, our empty nesting years have been wonderful years. Um, but many people, because of the confused priorities, I, I heard a, there was an a Oprah episode that mom recorded for me one time. And Oprah had all these women on the, on the show with her, uh, and they were called super moms. And these women were just obsessed with their children. And they and, and the, the mantra of the program that you heard over and over and over was, I live for my children. I live for my children. Well, what these women didn't know is their husbands were in the back in a room watching what they were saying and doing. And these men were mad as they could get. And then they brought the husbands out. And they said, what do you think about your wife living for the kids? He said, they said, I don't like it. I'm glad she's a good mother, but she neglects me. You know, I remember the time. So the point being, marriage is more important than children. See, how are your children going to be successful in marriage if you don't show them how? And marriage is, uh, parenting is a temporary assignment. Mm-hmm. You know, you were in the ha- you were home, Brent, uh, for 17, 18 years. You left. You was home 18 years and she left. Okay. Well, you've been, you've been gone now longer than you were with us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So most of your life, you're not home with your parents. Okay. And we have a very close relationship with you and Stephanie and uh, with Julie and Corey. But you guys have your own lives. So when a person is a problem in-law, they do not have bonding with their spouse. They bonded with their children. And when their children left, they now pursue their children emotionally and many times become adversarial in their marriage. Mm. Okay? So when you're not prioritizing your marriage when your children are at home, you're setting yourself up for uh, being problem in-laws and for having a bad empty nest. And I just say this, if there are people listening to this right now and they're empty nesting and they do have problems, just work it out. You know, just apologize to your spouse and say, you know, I'm sorry, I've prioritized the children more than I prioritized you. And, you know, I'm, I, please forgive me and let's, let's try again. If you need to get marriage counseling, go get, go get marriage counseling. Getting help is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And every couple will have a time or times in their marriage where you can't solve your own problems. Every couple will have that. You just need to go get help and just say, hey, here's where we are. And what's very, very difficult for you because you're so into it and so emotional is very easy for a trained counselor who's more objective. Mm-hmm. So, um, but for mom and I, our empty nesting years have been the best years of our lives. Mm-hmm. And grandchildren are better than children. Grandchildren are the reward for not killing your children. And uh, we, we love all the grandkids and taking care of them. So it's a wonderful time. Well, good. Yeah, gray divorce is a thing. It's a it's a trend in our country. Uh, couples get older; they don't they don't know how to bond beyond their kids, beyond their careers, so they retire. And um, uh, you're seeing more and more couples think that they have spouses for each stage of life, yeah. and that's just a lie from the enemy. Oh, of course, that they yeah. they uh, look at their lives and say, "Well, I had the spouse for the newly married years and the, and the childbearing years, and now somebody I can retire with." 
And uh, you have to have a consistency through each season of life. But if you do that, once you get to the empty nesting years, that can be some of the best years, the most fruitful years of your marriage. And you, of your life. you get rewarded for enduring, mm-hmm. you know. You know, what you were saying about people saying, well, I had young marriage and then, you know, this kind of a marriage then another marriage for lighter years. We're, we are created by God to bond heart to heart on the deepest level. And it's devastating when that ends. It's mm-hmm. devastating. And when you are not committed to the marriage, first of all, it can never be fulfilling. If you haven't unpacked your suitcase, how in the world can I trust my life with you? And uh, if we're just cohabiting or we're married, but, but there's just kind of this knowledge that, well, it's not for the rest of our lives. There's never going to be the intimacy and goodwill. But when you're committed till death to us part, you can unpack your bags. I'm going to be here. Um, it doesn't, doesn't matter what we go through. We're going to go through it together, mm-hmm. and we're going to work on our problems. And nothing else works. You can look. Mom and I have been married 45 years. We, we had a bad first few years. We almost divorced. But we have a good marriage. And, and we've helped a lot of people in marriage, and we know what makes marriage work. Uh, we also see the devastation of people who have been through multiple divorces, uh, cohabit rather than getting married and stuff. And so we just absolutely believe that God's way is the best way. Jimmy Evans, thank you so much for being on the EXO podcast. Good being with you. Thank you. You have one more session this afternoon. We're in Rockford, Illinois, and uh, you have... Knocked it out of the park the first session. I know this afternoon will be fantastic. We're in Austin in a couple weeks, and then we have a big 2019 calendar. Yep. Uh, you can find Jimmy Evans online, marriagetoday.com. We have a lot of resources for you there. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram and follow our social feed on Marriage Today uh, Facebook page, Instagram, all the channels. We have a lot of videos of Jimmy Evans on YouTube you can check out as well, including our brand new XO Now. Uh, streaming service that you can watch a lot of Jimmy Evans content, a lot of our EXO conferences on EXO now. Go to our website to check out the details. Thank you so much, Dad slash Jimmy slash CEO. Thank you, Brent slash son slash president. (laughs) All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks.